Googled Oklahoma thunderstorms. This is one that came up that I thought was just spectacular. It's a beautiful shot. It actually shows a thunderstorm over Oklahoma. If you look, I don't know whether you can see it. See that little white spot there over Oklahoma? And the reason that was available is that was the Moore, the Moore tornado. Uh, but it makes a beautiful picture. Beethoven's great love of nature and his delight in strolling through the woods outside Vienna, where he was living at the time, are expressed in the sixth of his nine symphonies, the one known as the Pastoral. What you're going to hear in the next three and a half minutes is his musical description of a storm that interrupts a country walk. I'm always awed when I hear this, how well, over 200 years ago, it depicts an Oklahoma thunderstorm in the 21st century. Keep that in mind as you watch it being passionately performed by the Russian National Orchestra. And by the way, this is really what Mr. Beethoven would have seen had he done a country walk in Oklahoma. <clears throat> switch here in just a moment. I've had some technical training from Andy and if it all works he gets the credit and if it doesn't all work I'll take the blame. I hope you can see this conductor over there in the choir because he's spectacular.
Okay, let me just get rid of that. And this is where we go next. I've never done this before, so this is a learning experience. It's always fun to learn something new, isn't it? There we go. Let me turn my page here. Earth Day is a big subject, and Hope Church is the better for it. But Janet and I look at the event quite differently. The readings we agreed she and the readers would select speak to her view of Earth Day, which I solidly endorse. My focus is on climate change, an evolving and often controversial subject. But she and I are as alike as two peas in a pod when it comes to love of nature, <laughs> that love of nature that we share with Herr Beethoven, and our mutual concern about the future of the earth. This is the point in our Sunday morning services where you're usually inspired by a sermon. That's what Reverend Kathy and David Tracy do well, but not what I'm going to attempt this morning. What uh, I'll be doing or what follows is what I'd call a commentary. For those of you who like to keep count, I'm going to talk about four things in the next ten minutes. Those four things are, number one, so we're all on the same page, a very basic definition of climate change, a term that's replacing global warming, and I'll tell you why in a minute, a summary of the disaster scenario that the majority of experts predict will happen in years, as Karen pointed out, if we take the wrong road, examples of real progress that may surprise you that's being made around the globe on preventing a future disaster, and then three questions that we can ask ourselves. The greenhouse effect, you all know that if you leave your car out on a sunny day, the heat gets in the car, and uh, but it doesn't get back out again. It comes in through the windows, but for reasons I don't quite understand, it doesn't go back out through the windows, and that car heats up pretty rapidly. <clears throat> Same thing happens with the earth. Janet and I were just talking a moment ago about how thin that layer is that protects the earth. The warming effect from the sun is obviously a mixed blessing in that we couldn't possibly do without it. And the energy that comes in through the atmosphere warms the earth and most of it is absorbed by the earth. Problem is we're putting too much carbon dioxide back out there and it's kind of created a little blanket that prevents the radiation that should be bouncing back out into space from doing that. So that's the greenhouse effect and the impacts on that. It is warming, but it's a mixed effect. That's what's confusing about this subject is that the North Pole ice has melted considerably, and you've all seen lots of, of uh, scenes of that. But the fact of the matter is the ice is actually growing in Antarctica. Uh, so it's a, that's why we don't talk about global warming anymore because it's really climate change that has a dual effect. But, and, and those impacts are things like sea level rising and extreme weather events, and that leads to hunger, disease, human conflict, which always seems to pop up, and species loss, kind of things that uh, 
we heard about earlier from Karen. I want to just briefly let you know that the carbon dioxide emissions by country uh, are led by the United States and China just because of our sheer size. Uh, the good news is that in China, in the last 30 years or so, 500 million people have gone from the country to the, city, to the urban areas. And that means if you're in an urban area, you need cars. And the fact is now that Beijing has more cars than Houston. Ruth and I were just in Houston last week. And uh, at rush hour in Houston, the, the traffic is barely moving at all. So I don't know what happens in Beijing. But uh, one thing that we've all seen on, on the evening news is that Beijing is, the air there is among the dirtiest on the planet. And the two things that I've put in bold print on here is that China passed us on CO2 emissions, carbon dioxide emissions, in 2006. So we're not number one in the world anymore. <clears throat> not very comforting, of course. China is uh, currently emitting almost twice as much CO2 as we are. So this is obviously a very difficult worldwide problem. The, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from last September, and Karen read from the more recent one, is that uh, now in 90 well, we know that 90% of carbon dioxide comes from burning fossils, but now more than 95% of the scientists are convinced, it was 90% a while back, uh, that uh, humans are in fact causing the uh, changes in climate. And here's in, the sentence in bold here is what I want you to remember for a moment. If we reach the point where there's a 2 degree Celsius increase in average service temperature, that's going to result in severe climate change consequences. Now listen to this. Between, actually before Beethoven's time, 1750 and 2011, human beings put 545, I don't know, they know this from ice samples, I think, primarily, gigatons of the main greenhouse gas, carbon dioxide. If a total of 1,000 tons is reached there's a one in three chance that these consequences that we just spoke about will will take place. And at the current rate, this is why this is in bold, the world will hit that 1,000 gigaton level sometime between 2040 and 2050. And I want to come back to those numbers in a minute. That seems like a long way off, doesn't it? Why, why worry about it? Well, we know we do have to change. And the good news is projections in the area of wind uh, generation of electricity, have we've reached the 2000 projection uh, that was 30 gigawatts by 2010. By 2011, we were seven times that number. In China, they have exceeded their goal by 22 times in wind. I didn't know they were that big in wind until I looked into it. But uh, India plans to quadruple renewable energy. So there's a lot of attention being paid to it. In the solar area, uh, that was predicted to grow to one gigawatt by 2010, and it's grown 17 times faster. Good news. Uh, and and uh, China was going to put 500 megawatts of solar in place by generation by 2020. They've almost doubled that by 2010. So they're working very hard on it. This air that they have in Beijing, I think, is a pretty good stimulus. So good things are happening in wind and solar, 
and even in nuclear energy. And they're happening in a lot of them in Europe. They, on a per capita basis, are ahead of us. We're, we're generating more electricity by alternate sources in total, but the difference is, of course, we're much bigger. Denmark, of all places, is doing the most per capita in wind generation of, of electricity. Germany and, listen to this, Kenya are doing the most per capita in generating solar energy. And right next door to Germany, France has said, even though Germany has said, we're not going to even use nuclear energy, France has said they are getting 75 to 80 percent of their electricity from nuclear energy. So a lot of different things are being done. The Vatican has said that they will be the first country to be carbon neutral. And that's a photograph of uh, the uh, 2,400, it is, solar panels that are on a football-sized roof in the Vatican. And they have other projects going, in the, in the, like uh, windmills and biofuel plants and so forth. And by the way, the generation of CO2, what do you think is the most common source of that? Anybody? It's coal-fired plants. What's number two? You see it every day. You came here in one. <laughs> Very good. The number three, what is surprising, and that is that uh, burning of the rainforests in the Amazon and the Congo, which is going on quite heavily, is really the number three source of carbon dioxide. And it's a double whammy because trees absorb carbon dioxide and they're getting rid of trees. <clears throat> Here's my questions. One, two, and three. Are these dire predictions of the planet, of the future of the planet, a hoax, as our senior senator says, or more believably, a miscalculation, or is mankind indeed heading for a disaster? I'm, a, I'm really an agnostic on that question. I don't know. But I do know these two things. I am not willing to bet my children and grandchildren's future on the notion that a huge percentage of scientists are in cahoots on some kind of scam. Are you? Uh, miscalculations, though, they, they happen a lot. And uh, they, miss, they happen with other, other areas, too, that we have thought in the past were going to be... Uh, big problems and they never showed up we were going to have a severe storm this morning it didn't show up either <clears throat> and what we got lasted about as long as, that, as long as that video unfortunately but uh, the fact that these future projections specific projections don't come true uh, that doesn't suffice that's not a good reason for inaction if the potential for them is possible question number two is it too late my favorite president, Harry Truman, said this about economists. I'm searching for a one-armed economist so the guy can never make a forecast and then say, on the other hand, <laughs> well, I'm searching for a one-armed uh, environmental analyst. And since I won't find one, I'll offer an optimistic uh, two-handed analysis of my own. Number one, when disaster looms, people react. 
a few at first, and then as leaders arise who have appealing action plans, that few becomes many. You've just seen some examples of, of res- amazing results that are beyond ex- expectations when enough people and organizations get involved. The big unknown is whether invention can get ahead of economic, and Karen mentioned invention is one of the things that's going to hopefully forestall uh, the uh, future doomsday, is whether invention can get ahead of economic and population growth. A Wall Street journalist a couple of days ago had a two-page article on how innovation can improve the environment. A lot of very optimistic things were said in those two pages. And their point was that innovation has repeatedly overcome problems that were predicted to happen in the past because of diminishing natural resources. We were going to run oil. We were going to run out of oil back in President Carter's time, weren't we? There's two big I words that I'm going to come back to in a moment, so remember these two words. Involvement, that was my first point, and innovation was my second. Number three question, why hope? Well, remember that UN prediction we'd, we'd get to the two-degree Celsius increase between 2040 and 2050? So uh, if those consequences are that far off, why do we care? I mean, why worry about it? At least some of us are not going to be here in 2040 and 2050. Uh, but uh, and, and then secondly, why do... A, program in a small church in Oklahoma well here's my answers to that I'm going to give you another answer in a minute but these are my reasons why I really was anxious to get us into a green sanctuary program we, we say every and we're going to say it again later this morning we are ever bound in community and we owe it to future generations to give as well as we have received in my lifetime, there are a couple of examples, there are many of them actually, but two of them that we all share is that the Dust Bowl is not coming back. A lot's been done to eliminate the possibility of that happening again, and I don't think it's going to happen again. I grew up in Los Angeles where they used to close the elementary schools when the smog got bad enough. I mean, not close the school, but not allow us to go out and do uh, anything in the, in the outdoors. So... We Our exercises were all indoors on those days. But when I went back for my 50th high school reunion, I was amazed at what people working together have accomplished in the Los Angeles area. Uh, it's much, much better. Number two reason for doing this is lowering our energy footprint is a great way to demonstrate our own values and just to be sure that we've got a way to do that. We've got a lot of years of utility records entered in the EPA's registry. Number three is, I think, very an important one. We can influence others just by example. We never know. School teachers never know, as a matter of fact, what they are going to, who they're going to influence. But we can influence people by our example of doing something. And lastly, if you want to be practical about it, uh, Hope's utility and HVAC maintenance costs will be significantly reduced if we do do something along those lines. So look at it from a business standpoint as uh, 
Where's Joe? Is he here and here somewhere? Back there? As they've done it. <laughs> McElroy, for example, where they've installed things in his office that uh, will shut the lights off if he doesn't say something every once in a while, <laughs> as well as move. <clears throat> What's the best reason? I, let's simplify all everything I've said to you. To be involved and innovative. Here's an example done by Gil and Janet and various others that have helped of the kind of things that we can leave behind on our sacred grounds and in our sacred building here at Hope if we get together and do some things of this sort like the Dogwood Trail that they did. And with that, I'll use the words that Fred might use, I rest my case. offertory time and I'm always pleased and proud when I can tell people that we give our offering away every Sunday. April's offerings have gone to a third place community foundation and community center in Turley. One of their web posters is shown above. I don't know if you can read all the words on it. And part of the message from their website reads, the miracle among the ruins, a third place community foundation creating the welcome table, community center, Garden Park and Orchard, Corner Store Free Pantry, Art Studio, Clothing Slash Thrift Store, and Supporting Renewal in the 24126 and 24130, which are two of the poorest zip code areas in this, around this town. I don't know if any of you ever visited there. I invite you to visit either their website or actually go visit. Ron and Bonnie are doing amazing work. So for this final offering of the month... Please give generously. And one quick comment on the hymn we're doing. I've been attending Unitarian churches for over 50 years, and I've heard a lot of music. Uh, This is my all-time favorite hymn. It was not included in the, quote, new hymnal that came out.